looked at that last week under the word, to be humble, to be a great father, to be a man of humility, to know what it means to be contrite. It's a huge, wonderful expression of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He's supreme, and we are lowly. I must decrease. So now, now is our text for this week. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, this word is wonderful and amazing and deep and beautiful and scary and light and dark and profound. Lord, we pray for your grace that you would open our hearts to see what you have for us today and teach this word to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I also want to read, uh, put into our fresh minds, if you can listen, John 3, 16 and following. This is the part that we're just scratching the surface. It's so beautiful and amazing. Verse John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So it's this huge diversity. Our culture likes to celebrate diversity. So we're going to celebrate diversity. Perhaps that's celebrate, not, not a comfortable word. We're going to commemorate, we're going to note diversity. How can you get more diverse than life and death? That's a contrast, okay? There it is, life and death. And Jesus is the issue. Whoever believes in him. Also, I want you to note here, it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting in this text, that we, we believe in this uh, theological truth. We call it progressive revelation. Progressive revelation. That means that uh, what you read in the Old Testament is absolutely true, but it's not maybe as detailed as what will come after it. As, as revelation progresses over the... Uh, the Bible was written in something like 1,600 years' time. Uh, as the revelation got, it, it doesn't correct mistakes in the past. There weren't, there weren't mistakes, but it fills in lots and lots of details. We call that progressive revelation. Uh, now, I want you to notice this, that in this text, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, 
who needs some radical change in his life or he will never even see God's kingdom and he won't enter God's kingdom. He needs a radical change in his life. Jesus tells him he must be born again. But in this is not specifically laid out that Jesus Christ will die on the cross, that he will be buried, and that he will rise again from the grave. We all know that, right? It comes riding in on a beautiful freight train uh, in, in the text. But it's not laid out clearly here at all. I, I think that it's interesting. Sometimes I think probably we feel like we have to say everything we know at any given opportunity. <laughs> and Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't always say everything he... <sighs> there, there we get stuck. How could Jesus ever say everything he knows since he knows everything? <laughs> do you have a minute? Uh, excuse me, do you have a lifetime? Do you have an eternity? Then I'll tell you everything I know. But just notice that. It, it does come into the text, um, but let me... Again, just kind of keep that in your background. Interesting observation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, that's what he says, believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ. You will not perish, but you will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He expresses his love for the world. In the world, there is cosmos, the system, the order. He wants to save the world. God is a savior. We just sang that in one of our songs. He didn't send Jesus to condemn the world. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. You must believe in him. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. See, the natural state of every human being is condemned. In, in the court of God, you are guilty. You have been declared guilty by God. You, you've already committed the crime. You are guilty and you're condemned. You have a, a death sentence. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. No one is perfect. And therefore, we are condemned. It's the, he doesn't have to condemn us. We're already condemned, right? That's what it says. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. You must believe in his name. Now, that's, in English, that sounds like a little word, like J-E-S-U-S. -S. So, okay, I believe in those letters, you know? I, I believe in that name. What does that mean? Well, it comes uh, with this biblical understanding that the name represents the person. The name is everything this person is, everything he does. You believe in his authority, in his person, who he is. You trust in him. And by the way, J-E-S-U-S -S is a pretty good name. It means Savior. <laughs> you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The actual word means Savior. He saves. So you must believe in his name. You must believe in who he is in order to have this life. Verse 19. 
And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Jesus, talking to Nicodemus here, says the obstacle, the reason, and this text is talking about the majority of people reject Jesus. In our text today, did you hear what it says? Verse 32, yet no one receives his testimony. That's pretty bleak, isn't it? We want to be in the majority. The majority's always right. We believe in democracy. Um, 50% plus one, the majority. It, it seems like it's going to be the minority of people who really understand who Jesus is and believe in him. Uh, it also it, it came out very clearly in verse 11 of chapter 1. Verse 11 of chapter 1. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Verse 10, too. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, Yet the world did not know him. This stunning, weird irony that the maker of the universe, the owner of the whole thing, is like, uh, what's that show about the boss who goes and works? He owns, he, like he owns Taco Bell, and he, undercover boss. This is kind of like a major undercover boss, okay? <laughs> he comes in, he's born in the manger, he kind of, you know, wears a beard and a hat. Uh, you know, it, it's a little silly, but that's, that's what this is going on here, this huge irony. He came to his own, he made the world. The Bible is very, very emphatic about that. He made everything. Nothing was made that Jesus Christ did not make. So he comes into this world that he made, that he owns, and it rejects him. We rejected him. And, and Jesus tells Nicodemus that the reason for that is this bent towards stubbornness that we all have, that we just want to do what we want to do, and we don't want anybody telling us otherwise. We're rebels. We want to do what we do. We want to do our evil. We want to stick with the darkness because believing, you see, is not like, oh, yeah, mental assent. Yeah, okay, I believe that Jesus came and was born in a manger and did something and did something and died for me. I'm all good with that, yeah. He rose again. That's all good. You know, I'm all good with that. That's not what this believing is. This believing is saying, I want to live my whole life for you. I want to be your slave. And I want you to be my Lord. I want to be totally, radically sold out, committed to you because you are God. You are almighty. You are the king of all. Melech Ha'olam. That's Hebrew for king of the universe, that's that titanic scene. I'm, what does he say? I'm the Lord of all or something like that? Or king of the world, king of the world. 
Well, Jesus is far better than that. He owns the sea. <laughs> he is all in all. And, and so that's the issue here. See, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, the reason you won't come, the reason folks won't come to receive this eternal life is they refuse to repent. And the gospel is repent and believe. Turn away from your will your desire to serve yourself and turn to Jesus, the new master, and submit to him. Turn from one slavery to death and sin and hell to the slavery to righteousness, to Jesus alone. All right, now that's a little background. <laughs> uh, so verse 31, he he who comes from above is above all. Again, I, I'm going to just say this is John the Baptist, okay? In heaven, they can correct me. <laughs> it fits just exactly what John is saying. It doesn't really matter. What he's saying is, again, in this competition, Jesus is over there baptizing, and by the way, he says in 4.2, Jesus never specifically baptized. It was his disciples who baptized but his crowds are growing, and John's crowds are getting less. He's getting more insignificant. And his, the, the disciples of John the Baptist say, hey, aren't you going to do something about this? Or what's going on here? And he says, it's all okay. Jesus must increase. And here he says, it's because he came from above. He's above all. The Son is above all. The Lord came to earth. He is the highest of all. He is the highest of all, and he is the highest authority. When we say he's the Lord God Almighty, that's what we mean. Jesus Christ, look at this, he is above all. There's no one that's higher than Jesus, even the Father. They are equal in glory and equal in essence. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all God. And so Jesus willingly submits to the Son, but Jesus is equal with the Father. Never think that there's three gods. There's one God, all equal together. And Jesus is above all. It's, it's ultimate. You can't get any higher than that. He has the highest authority. Therefore, he is the best source of truth. This is, what he's, this is what John's about. Jesus came to tell us the truth. He's the word of God. He's bearing witness. He's saying these things. Remember I said in John 3, the claim to authority here, real, honestly, the, uh, in theology we have these things called, called apologetics, which is where we defend our faith. And it's a good science, and it's a good study, and it's a good practice, and I'm not discouraging it, okay, at all. But the apologetics in this text, you know, how do you believe these things? He says, because I said it. Okay, verily, verily, truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, I say to you. It's hegemony, theological hegemony. What's that? That's when you, when you have a huge power that just has the right to say this the way it is. <laughs> okay, but may I say, this is, he's the holy hegemon. He's the holy hegemon. He's the divine despot. The Bible calls him a despot. 
meaning one with ultimate authority who does what he pleases at all times. Okay? So Jesus' approach here is, I'm not going to defend myself. This is just the way it is. <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, he says that three times in this chapter, this is the way it is. He's above all. He's the highest authority. He's the best source for truth. He has the most important duty. He's the highest. There's no more important duty than the duty of Jesus Christ. He's willingly submitting to the plan of the Father to, to die for our sins. He is worthy of all honor. It's, it's never inappropriate to worship Jesus. It's always inappropriate to worship anything less than Jesus. He is worthy of all our honor. He's the highest authority. He's the best source for truth. He, and he has the most important duty, worthy of all honor. And, but it goes beyond that. It, it's love. He's worthy of our love and our adoration because he's the highest of all. Don't you want to love what is the best? Don't you want to be involved with what really matters and be challenged and encouraged um, and uh, dazzled by what is really worthy of being dazzled about? Can you open that door or somebody? Could you get it, Joe? I feel a little warm. Dazzling. Hmm? John says, it doesn't matter if my ministry ends in my being beheaded. It doesn't matter to me if my ministry ends in me being in a pit and being dragged out and being beheaded. I must decrease. Jesus must increase because he who comes from above is above all. Let's look at this uh, in what John said earlier. In the testimony of John, remember in John chapter 1, uh, this is what he says in verse 19 and following. And this is the testimony of John. This is John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from, from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny but confessed, I am not the Christ. He points to Jesus. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. And that's really the undercover boss, too. You don't realize that that guy with a funny hat on, making the tacos in the back, he owns the whole corporation. <laughs> You don't realize that. He stands among you. Jesus has come among us. He's the Son of Man. And you don't know him. 
even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He bore witness very accurately that Jesus was the ultimate, the high one. He also says it up in, uh, right at the very beginning, um, where it says, there was a man, this is verse 6, uh, I love how John, the author, keeps bouncing back to John the Baptist here at the very beginning of his book. Uh, here it is in the very first part. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So John gives us a very clear testimony that Jesus is above all. He's the highest of all. So let's look at what John says next. This man, Jesus, speaks the truth very clearly. Look at how it's laid out here. Verse uh, 32. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard yet no one receives his testimony. It's kind of interesting that he's saying Jesus literally speaks from experience. He is saying what he has seen and heard. The same thing is up in verse 11 from the lips of Jesus, 311. Here's that one of those uh, strong authoritative statements. Truly, truly. You know, this is so emphatic. This is the guy pounding his pulpit. Amen, amen, I say to you, we speak what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. This is Jesus saying this. And now John repeats the same thing. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Why is Jesus accurate? Why is he trustworthy? He, he's saying, listen, I came down from heaven. I was sent from God. I'm telling you what I know. This is absolutely true. I'm telling you what I have seen and heard. He speaks from experience. He speaks the truth. And we're going to open this up a little bit further. We must respond to him. And look how this works out here. No one receives his testimony. The issue is, here it is. And by and large, this is a big statement. It's called an exaggeration. No one receives his testimony or hyperbole. But he's saying, by far, most people don't believe this stuff. It's not the most popular thing to believe. It's easier to not believe it. Uh, well, let's see why that is. No one receives his testimony. But whoever receives his testimony... Look at how... I'm going to read it again. It's so beautiful. Whoever receives his testimony... This is saying that... Listen, I've read about Jesus. I've read the words of Jesus. I've prayed about this. I've studied it carefully. And I believe this is true. And I want to receive Jesus. And I want to live for him. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. I don't know how this exactly fits, but maybe it's something like this. Every once in a while, we have some sort of contract that you have to get notarized, right? 
and you can go to the UPS store here. I get nothing for this advertisement. <laughs> but you go to the UPS store and you pay the guy 10 bucks and you, you bring in the contract and you sign it in front of him. Then he pulls out a book and looks at your ID and writes it all out and then he stamps the thing and verifies that. As far as he can tell, you really are Nathan Wren and you really did sign this, this contract. He sets his seal to the fact that Nathan Wren showed up with ID, I checked his ID, he's the guy, he signed the contract. And that's what uh, John is saying here. If you, this is so important, I'm, I'm sorry if you're getting a little bored or tired or too hot or whatever, don't, don't miss this, okay? This is huge. If you receive the testimony of Jesus Christ, then you're saying, God is true. The opposite is true. If you say, no, that's too narrow, I think everybody's okay, everybody's going to be right with God, you don't really need to personally repent of your sin and believe in Jesus and live a life that's devoted to him, following him to be right with God. No, you can live your own life in any way you want, and you can decide, well, I'll pick and choose God what I want to believe out of your word. Where was I there? I got lost in that. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you choose course B, saying, forget it. I don't want this God thing. I'd be happy to live my own life. Thank you very much. Then you're saying, God is not true. God is a liar. So you can't have God without Jesus. You cannot have God without Jesus. Because if you pick and choose and say, I'll take God without Jesus, then you're saying God is not true. God is a liar. Because he has provided this one and only son. I like the word for tr truth here. It's aletheia. Uh, it's the Greek word for truth. And it has an alpha privative in front of it. Ah, and then letho. And letho means to hide. Hide stuff. To be deceptive. God is not deceptive. God doesn't hide stuff. The, the whole ministry of Jesus is revelation. He reaches out and says, this is the way it is. I'm telling you. Believe me. Here's the truth. Yes, it's sort of a take it or leave it, but here it is. I don't hide this stuff. You don't have to get the hidden information. It's revealed. The mystery is out there. It's revealed. It's, it's the glory of who Jesus is. Okay, so whoever receives his testimony, there's a whole lot in this verse, is fully trusting that God is true. Secondly, is believing the words of God. See that in verse 34? For he whom God has sent. Now this is the whole thing in John. Over and over we'll see it. Jesus Christ was sent by God the Father. You, I have a job for you. You go. And he willingly submitted to his Father. He whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he, and that's God the Father, gives the Spirit without measure. God the Father has given 
Jesus, the Holy Spirit, completely. Uh, that goes back to actually what, what John said earlier. He said, I, I saw the dove coming down. Here it is in verse 32. Again, that's why I think, I really think John said this last part of John 3. Um, and John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. So Jesus has the full force of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he represents God perfectly in, in completion. No new revelation. No second books. No third testaments are needed. He's the whole thing. He, he was perfect to begin with. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. Now, I'm, I'm kind of a fan of the English Standard Version. And they, they, they're the ones that put that word utters in there. Um, a lot of the versions say speaks. Because it's the word for speaking. And it is, is it present tense. He is speaking. He talks about it. But they, they choose the word utters because of the, the austerity of the moment. Okay? Uh, the depth. The like, whoa, God has spoken. Okay, it's an utterance. You go to the oracle, the oracle will speak. That's kind of the idea here, right? It's heavy, it's huge. And the word for words here is the slightly less popular word for words. It's not logos, it's, it's remata or rhema. And um, I don't want to you know, like lose you. I don't want to lose you, but there's like two really big words in the Greek New Testament for word. Logos, Jesus is the word, logos. And, and that word, as I said when I taught it, it's like our word logic, right? We get our word logic from it, logos. And it really means a collecting. The base root of the meaning of this word means collecting. What does that mean? Well, it's things laid down together. It's a logical progression. I think this is so cool. And I can't quite say this right. But this is it. The very source of all that is, is Jesus Christ. And he is information. He's data. Why is it that you... you Flick like this, and what, what, what went off of there? I didn't see it, but it was there. It was some cells from this wood that are rich with data, so much data, we can't even figure out how much data is in there. Right? I get excited about this. We're talking about an infinite creator who created a finite world that we can't even figure out. That it, because this finite world is so doggone complicated. Right? Am I right? Yes, I am right. And for that, I'll have a drink of water. <laughs> In the beginning was the word, was the, the infinite data, was the mounds of information. That's God. I mean, he's all knowledge. It, and it's not impersonal. Um, you know, it's not like the computer. Was it Hal? 
the computer. On 2001, as we thought, it's the, uh, no, it's, it's, he's a person, he's a being who loves us, but he has all knowledge, and he's implanted this in his creation. That's logos, okay? It's, some, it's a collection of ideas. That kind of, the idea is put some thoughts together in your brain and then talk. Very hard to do, because we'd really rather just talk. <laughs> But it, it lo- logically, put, put some things together. And I use the word bias, remember? And I mean by that, uh, there, is, there is truth embedded in all that is because it is God who has created it all. That's logos. This word rhema is speech, discourse. Uh, it is that which has been uttered by the living voice. It's a thing spoken. Um, my daughter, I don't think Annalise is in the room. She's helping her dear mother. But she's studying linguistics uh, up at college. And she's having a great time with it. Somehow, I think God just created her to be a linguist because she just loves it. Like, you know, we're talking about what a syllable is and, and you know, all these weird things at home. She's constantly analyzing language. But, and she would like this. This is from the Greek dictionary on rhema. It's any sound produced by the voice and having a definite meaning. So it's the sounds we make that come out of our mouth that mean something. That's rhema. And in plural, it means speech, discourse, because it consists of words, either few or many. What one has said or taught. Now, let's look at a couple of verses really quickly on this. Um, Look with me in John uh, chapter 12, verse 47. John 12, 47. Remember, our key verse that I'm focusing in on is verse 34. For he whom God has sent utters, that's present tense, he speaks the rhemata, the words of God. He, when he speaks, God speaks. He's speaking the speech of God. And uh, here's John 12, 47. If anyone hears my words, that's a rhemata. If anyone hears my speech and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my speech, my rhemata, has a judge. The word, and here he switches to logos. So Ramatha, the speech, kind of produces the logical statement that we've been trying to master in John 3. Again, verse, this is John 12, 48. Don't miss this. The one who rejects me and does not receive my speech has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. This is just put the shiver in our spine you will be judged on the basis of what Jesus said we will be judged on the basis of what Jesus said that's why it's important and the one who believes him who receives his testimony is fully trusting that God is true is believing the words of God the very speech of God when you believe in Jesus and is receiving the one loved by God Verse 35, the father loves the son 
and has given all things into his hand. So when you receive Jesus, you commit your life to him. You say, whatever it takes, I want to follow him. I want to, I want to love him. You're loving the one that God the Father loves. You're loving, the Bible just calls him the beloved, the beloved one. Jesus was baptized, right? And God said, this is my son whom I love. We're saved in Jesus, the beloved one. We're loved in him. And so when you receive Jesus, you're receiving the one loved by God. And then finally, you're receiving the, the one who receives his testimony is owning, is, is receiving, rather, receiving the highest one. That's, you know, cross-apply my first point. <laughs> He's above all. You're going with the best authority. You're not, you're not quoted, quoting Wikipedia in your research paper here. You went to the original source, and you're quoting the, the exact scientific data that proves your point, right? You're quoting the highest. You're, you're trusting in the, the highest authority ever. He's above all. And then finally, uh, the person who received this, his testimony is owning eternal life, is owning this. It's amazing. Look at the word of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son, has, has given all things into his hand. That's the point of, about he's above all. He's given all things into his hand. He has all authority. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. That's present tense verb. It's not like you will get it eventually. You already own it. It's yours now. Our little sheep up here sang a cute little song Abundant, wonderful life in Jesus. Yeah. Really cute song, but it's based on this idea that God wants to give us eternal life now. We have life, real life, eternal life now as a present possession. So that's what you get for responding to him. That's what you get for receiving him, uh, worshiping him, following him, repenting and living for him. That's what you receive. Huge, wonderful package. You can't get any better than that. But the Bible is very emphatic, very clear here. Because this isn't just a matter of, I'd like you to receive Jesus so your life would get a little bit better. We'd like you to receive Jesus and live for him because without him, you're currently bearing the wrath of God. You, you are bearing the wrath of God. See how the rest of the text says, whoever does not obey. And notice the word is obey here. It's a different word than believe. Because of that whole point I was making about repenting. You know, belief isn't just, yeah, I have a mental assent. Yeah, I'll check the box. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe that. I, I made my first communion. I was baptized. I've, you know, in the box. It's done. No, Belief is really living for him and pursuing a life of devotion. Back in the 70s and 80s, the evangelical church used to like to say that we're not a religion. We are about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's very, very true. Very, very true. But I have said it many times from this pulpit, the Bible teaches us to be religious about the relationship. You know, I'm in a relationship with my wife, Charlotte. 
but I need to be religious about that, <laughs> like really devoted to her, right? And, and she appreciates it when I come home seven nights a week. And what if I just showed up, uh, you know, I'll come at Christmas and Easter, Charlotte. <laughs> that would not go over. <laughs> this would be a huge violation or misunderstanding. Oh, but we have a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you, you've got to be devoted, committed to this relationship, a follower of Jesus. See? And, and the downside is huge. Whoever does not obey. Um, we have a minute. I have lots of time today. Is that clock right? I, just, I forgot my watch. So it's basically right. Or is that that's mountain time? <laughs> I wanted to point out something really interesting. Uh, for you, especially for you, uh, all of us. Um, there's this awesome definition of believe in John. He put it right in the text, and I don't know if Eugene got to this or not, because it was in the text you preached from. At the very end of chapter 2, very end of chapter 2, is this really interesting thing. Look at verse 23, please, 2.23. It says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, that's Jesus, big feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Now just stop there. How was Jesus feeling? This is so exciting! I'm really popular! I've got a big, full congregation, and they all believe in me, and they like what I'm doing. They got it! They're so bright. No, look what he says. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. Why? Because he knew all people, <laughs> and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, here's the cool thing. That word entrust there, it's the same exact word, to believe, pistuo, the same exact word in verse 23. So John, the author, is playing this little word game. Why? Because he wants us to get this point. They were believing, but Jesus wasn't believing in them. That's literally what he says here. And, and that's the definition of belief he wants us to have. This entrusting, fully committing to someone. They weren't believing Jesus the right way. They didn't have saving faith. They only were superficial. And he's saying superficial faith is not faith. Because real faith, real faith shows up when we, first of all, desperately pray for forgiveness. You know, when we realize, wow, when I say holy, 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 it blows me away. I'm not holy, holy, holy. I'm not even whole. I'm not even part of one of the words. <laughs> no, I'm not Lee either, for that matter. I'm not. I'm not holy. I, I'm desperately needing a gift of, of righteousness, of holiness. I need you more than life itself. I need Jesus' forgiveness more than water, right? I can, I can die without the water temporarily, but I will die forever without the righteousness that Jesus Christ freely gifts the living water. And you see, 
So John wants us to get that point. Jesus is not interested in the big crowds. John keeps saying, they all rejected him. They all rejected him. A few got it. At the end of the day, there were like 120 in the upper room. Those are the only faithful that we know of, you know, after he was crucified and raised from the dead. So, this point is this. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. That's the sentence. It's the future tense of the word. This shall not happen. You shall not pass in Lord of the Rings, right? It will not happen. I'd rather die in the process uh, of stopping you. This shall not. You can't expect this. Your expectations are all off. If you think you can live your own life and then go back to, but I prayed when I was four to receive Jesus and I'm saved. I was baptized. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. I want to know you. He wants to know us. My dear friend here, uh, Tony, is always stressing this uh, point to me that it is about relationship with God. He wants to know us. He wants us to be close. He, He wants to say, you are my sheep. I can tell you're not a goat. You're my sheep. And sheep are wonderfully dependent. All right. Horrible, horrible thing to avoid. You shall not see life. And then finally, God's wrath remains on him. And that's the present tense. It's remaining right now. A meno. Meno is the Greek word that we'll get to many times in John. It remains. It abides. It lives on you. You know, why would you want that on your back? Get rid of it through Jesus, the only way. So this is what I've said today. The Lord, the Lord came to earth. Hallelujah. He's the highest. He speaks the truth. And we must respond to him. Lord, give us grace to respond properly. Give us grace to repent. Strengthen us, O Father, to serve you. We need your strength to do anything for you that's worth doing. And on the verge of uh, VBS, Lord, we commit this to you and ask that you'd be glorified through our humble efforts, through our decorations, through our teaching, Lord. Would you please be glorified and draw men to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.